Well, welcome to the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is the 2021 Summer Interlude Between Seasons. This summer, we're sharing brand new lectures by Joe Boot from a series produced in partnership with Answers in Genesis called Creation, Cross, and Culture. Catch a new episode each week, and we'll be back in September with a new season of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. The Marvel and Mystery of Man, Part 1. Looking out of my study window as I prepared for this episode, a beautiful clear blue sky bathed the afternoon in bright sunlight, making the stark beauty of the Canadian winter leap out across the Niagara Escarpment. It was a tranquil scene, and I watched snow swirl across the ground in the breeze. And as I watched, I was reminded of the inviolate order and structure of God's creation. The glorious, unassuming regularity of it all. Everywhere one looks in the lengthening of the days, the bare trees allowing a full view of the hills and streams, and the hurried activity of squirrels, creation reveals it is constantly subject to the word of God. From the myriad of insects clearing up the debris on the forest floor to the constant activity in every invisible cell of the body, enabling us to experience these marvels daily. All things move in cosmic time in terms of a pattern and purpose by God's ordination. There is an extreme cognitive dissonance going on with the person who can look out on a stunning winter day and say to himself that this world is nothing but happenstance, rationalizing creation away into emptiness as a chance occurrence. In fact, every day is a masterpiece and a miracle most especially the life of human beings, God's image bearers, and the pinnacle of creation. The brilliant and blind Italian opera singer, uh, Andre Bocelli, has said it really beautifully. Every life is a work of art, and if it does not seem so, perhaps it is only necessary to illuminate the room that contains it. The secret is never to lose faith, to have confidence in God's plan for us, revealed in the signs with which he shows us the way. And never forget that there's no such thing as happenstance. That's an illusion that lawless and arrogant men invented so that they could sacrifice the truth of our world to the laws of reason. The Bible's teaching concerning the true character of God's cosmic work of art, particularly the special creation of humanity, is tragically neglected in much of the modern church. We hear the call from many pulpits for justice, compassion and personal piety, but we have failed to answer the fundamental question of what a human being actually is. This 
inattention has contributed not only to a crisis in our understanding of human identity, but to the decay of the culture around us as the assault on man as God's image bearer in the name of autonomous reason has continued unabated and largely unchallenged. What the Christian family, school and church believe and teach about creation is vital because it clearly determines both how we understand and live in the cosmos God has created. Compromise with the doctrine of creation has always led to an undermining of the church's confidence both in the sovereign power of God and a scriptural view of the human person. Both need to be recovered for the proclamation of the gospel in our time. The unparalleled and singularly remarkable account of creation given in Genesis 1 and 2 sets out the power and wisdom of God in creating an awe-inspiring and intricately ordered cosmos. There we read of the creation of all things from nothing, of clear distinctions placed by God within the created order, and of the unique creation of human beings, different in kind from mineral, vegetable, and animal life. Of course, it is not only Genesis that speaks about creation through the powerful word of God. It's actually easy to see the Son of God personified as wisdom in the work of creation in Proverbs 8, 22 through 31. Here is what the scripture says there. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Now notice especially there the delight of the personified word and wisdom of God in his creation, particularly humanity. The word possessed in verse 22 can be translated begot. Now that's significant because in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, the apostle Paul twice refers to Christ as the firstborn, firstly over all creation, as having absolute priority, being heir and inheritor of all things, then also as the firstborn from the dead, having priority in redemption. 
This passage then crucially links creation and redemption as a unified totality in Jesus Christ, pointing to the ultimate destiny of redeemed humanity in resurrection life. In fact, in Colossians, Paul affirms that all things in the entire cosmos, visible and invisible, including all powers and authorities, both heavenly and earthly, were created through and for Christ. The same thought is reiterated elsewhere by Paul. In Romans 11:36, he writes, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, it's important to tease out the profundity of this biblical theme. It reveals that Christ is the mediator of the totality of everything that exists. All things were created through him. Yet it is not simply that Christ is the one through whom all things were made. He is also the one to whom all things belong. All things were made for him. Consequently, among many other implications, it means all people in everything they say and do are accountable to Christ the Creator. He is the reason and the end of all things, the essence of their meaningfulness. Further still, the Apostle Paul tells us Christ is the one in whom all things hold together, by which they are sustained moment by moment. So if we pull those threads together, the scriptures teach us that creation is an instantiation of the powerful word of God. Moment by moment, day by day, year after year, creation is upheld, sustained, directed, and subject to his word. The well-known opening to John's gospel, so reminiscent of Genesis 1, tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In addition, consider Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, which brings out the same thought as Colossians. Christ is the creator, heir, and upholder of all things, is what the writer says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All of this tells us that creation is literally unthinkable apart from the living word of God by whom all things are created, preserved and directed. In short, Jesus Christ is the key to the meaning of creation. There is therefore no room for us in scripture to begin our thinking about creation by synthesizing this 
rich biblical picture with elements of pagan thought. Stated in modern scientific jargon, the pagan view holds that at some infinite point of destiny, matter energy being somehow eternal via a quantum fluctuation of a vacuum, everything existing spontaneously evolved through innumerable stages of development over inconceivable eons into their present form. A scenario in which, following abiogenesis, theistically conceived or not, after countless millennia of death, disease, chance mutation and suffering, a group of higher hominids finally appeared, developing self-consciousness and cultural awareness. In the theistic version, they are subsequently elected by God for the task of being our progenitors. Are we really to believe that these ideas square with God's wisdom and omnipotence, or that they can be reconciled with the special creation of man and woman as his image bearers? How could such a chaotic and mindless process have been declared very good as a manifestation of God's power, will and goodness? How might such ideas be spun into a revelation of Christ? the creating and sustaining word, an antitype of Adam. There is absolutely no submission that I can see to scripture in such a fanciful and idolatrous scenario. Such a process is not the work of the eternal son who by his powerful word, calm storms, healed lepers, turned water to wine, raised Jairus' daughter, or healed the centurion's servant with a simple word. This is not the, the Christ who commanded a decaying Lazarus to come out of his grave, restored to life, and who will raise us from the dust of the earth at the last day in the twinkling of an eye. Many professing Christians have convinced themselves that some form of reconciliation of these antithetical religious premises must be accomplished. But such an impulse is doomed from the start. When we observe creation, we are not looking at a revelation of chance and chaos or some mysterious entelechy. Instead, when we reflect on any part of creation, including ourselves, we are contemplating an aspect of God's word revelation through the Son. In creation, we are actually able to discern God's laws for creation and the norms of God's creational word for life as we are illuminated and directed by scripture. This law word for creation through Christ is inaudible, invisible, yet clearly discernible in its effects. It is possible, of course, for this revelation to be suppressed, perverted, or ignored. Expressing a distortion of God's word revelation in creation because of man's fallen condition, many Greco-Roman philosophers taught that all things were held together by Zeus or by the Logos, an abstract concept of divine reason, in order to try and find an adequate ground that might account for the unity in diversity in the cosmos. Ever since, 
unbelievers have sought an imminent solution to the meaning and origin of all things, from the mythical gods who are stationed inside the cosmos, to mind and reason, feeling, or just energy and matter. Yet scripture and creation itself make plain that no philosophy, no theology or form of science can establish the meaning of things. This is because the meaning of all things is already given with creation. Ours is a designed and predefined world, so there are no brute, uninterpreted facts. We do not inhabit a chaotic, plastic world where man can redefine himself or anything else in terms of his own imagination. All true meaning is grounded in God's order for creation. As Gordon Spikeman, a theologian, has explained, all scientific endeavor is therefore a discovery process. In acquiring knowledge, whether theoretical or practical, we are always and only responding creatures set within ordered surroundings of a stable but not static, an unfolding but not evolving cosmos. Scientific inquiry is therefore a limited, humble, subservient and tentative undertaking. It can only describe by empirical analysis the data and phenomena at hand. Its tools cannot penetrate to an original and fundamental explanation of the meaning of things. For this we are dependent on revelation, reflectively present in creation and noetically disclosed in scripture. Creation does not merely have such meaning, which we are at liberty to reckon with or not, nor does it await our attempts to lend it meaning. Creation is meaning. It is therefore meaningful or full of meaning. Now this is a critical insight. Creation is meaning and our lives are full of meaning because of Christ's creating and redeeming word. Christians should become more deliberate about reflecting on the meaningfulness of creation and the laws and norms which can be discovered there in light of scripture. In each area of life, God has established his law order placing all things in relationship to everything else, from plant and insect life to higher animals, human life, marriage and family, human society and culture. The reality of this intricate interdependence means that neither the cosmos as a whole nor any part of it is self-sufficient. Nothing exists by itself or for itself, including man, but consists in an unbreakable coherence with all other things by virtue of creation. Another way to express this is to say that each aspect of reality points beyond itself to all the other aspects of reality, so that no part of creation contains a resting point in itself. That is, it is not self-explanatory, but rather refers us back to the creator in whom all things hold together. To illustrate, the famous physicist Isaac Newton, when asked, what is gravity, replied, I don't know. 
The American Nobel Prize-winning chemist Linus Pauling said the same when he was asked what a chemical bond is. Charles Augustin de Coulomb, a physicist noted for Coulomb's law and groundbreaking work on electrostatic forces and friction, refused to try to define electricity. This is because all these concepts represent functions of material things, but have no is, no independent existence. Because God has placed everything in all creation in relationship to all other things, most especially man in relation to others and with himself, creation is meaning. But the meaning is radically distorted when some aspect of creation is thought of as self-sufficient. God alone is self-sufficient, existing from and for himself in eternal relational community. This meaning character of reality indicates that all creation is relative, whilst God alone is absolute. All things are relative to each other and as a whole are related back to and dependent upon Christ the Creator, existing for his glory. This includes man himself. All attempts to absolutize any aspect of creation as though a resting point, a, a point of final explanation, a totality of meaning can be found within it, whether energy, matter, man's thinking, feeling, or cultural life, is a form of idolatry. None of these aspects of our human experience can be placed in isolation as self-sufficient, even thinking and feeling, without destroying their beautiful coherence. The fullness or totality of meaning is found in Christ alone, to whom all things in heaven and earth are related. Consider the illustration of a prism. As a single shaft of light passes through a prism, it is refracted into a diversity of rays made up of seven bands of color. Each band is a dependent refraction of white light. No one band of light can be thought of as the sum of the various colors, and none of them exists without an unbreakable coherence with all the others. If white light is blocked before being refracted, all the colors vanish into nothing. And yet white light itself is not found in the refracted colors. The non-refracted white light represents a totality to which all the colors point. Now God's creation law word is the totality of meaning behind the diversity of aspects in creation. God's decree for creation is refracted into a multiplicity of binding and authoritative words for all the spheres of reality. From the invisible cellular structure of the human body and the binding laws obeyed by numerous microscopic machines in those cells every moment of each day, to Christ's creational norms for sexuality, marriage, family, work, learning and rest, from the physiological structure of the blue whale to abstract mathematical and logical laws and the invisible laws of aesthetic value, from the structure of spiritual principalities and 
angelic beings to the law order for the state. Christ's word created, sustains, and governs it all. All the varied laws and structures of his creation hold firm despite the death and decay present in the world due to sin. And the norms established for creation, which can be violated by man, are unchanged. Without a foundational religious commitment to a scriptural view of creation as God's law order, there can be no ultimate meaning in anything. And the human personality disappears into nothingness. This is what we can affirm of creation in general from a scriptural standpoint. In the second part, I want to focus in on man himself as the pinnacle and king of God's creation. Mm -hmm.